Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to take a look at some of the uh, trade issues going on. We have Mexico putting on tariffs, uh, retaliating uh, against the United States. We're going to talk about the impact on meat sales uh, into Mexico. We're going to talk with the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dan Hallstrom, will be joining us. Dairy very much at the forefront of the U.S.-Canada trade tensions, and uh, we're going to get the latest on that from Chris Galen with the National Milk Producers Federation. And we're also going to look ahead to the Farm Progress Show it's not that far away now. Coming up the end of August in Boone, Iowa, we'll talk with Matt Youngman, Director of Trade Shows for Farm Progress, a little bit later on. But right now, to join us to talk about some of the news of the day, we have Jerry Hagstrom from the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Uh, well, I'm happy to join you, and, and, uh, and good morning, everyone. Well, let's talk about the Farm Bill, because it looks like we're going to get the, the markup in the Senate uh, Ag Committee tomorrow, right? That's right. It's supposed to start at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, I'm expecting it to be a fairly uh, dull markup uh, compared, for example, with the, with the House markup. It's a bipartisan bill that has been written by both Senate Agriculture Committee Chairman Pat Roberts, who's a Kansas Republican, and by the ranking member Debbie, Debbie Stabenow, who is a Michigan Democrat. And I guess, depending on your point of view, a dull markup is actually a good thing <laughs> compared to what's been going on in the House. Uh, in, uh, indeed. In the, in the House, uh, not a single Democrat on the House Ag Committee supported the bill in committee, and not a single Democrat supported it on the floor because of the changes uh, that the Republicans want to make to the food stamp program. All right, we're talking with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, we're kind of losing you a little bit. Are you on a speakerphone or on a handset? Uh, no, I'm, I have a, a headset on my uh, on my regular phone. Is this better? Yeah, a little better, yeah. Okay, sometimes we don't get the strongest line, so uh, we appreciate it. Uh, okay, let's talk about uh, uh, as far as the Farm Bill is concerned. We know one person who wants to see some changes in what's being proposed by the committee is Senator Grassley as he continues to push for stricter payment limits, and I guess he'll do that through amendment, perhaps. Uh, yes, he, he just held, held a telephone call with reporters a few minutes ago, and he both wants a stricter definition of who is an actively engaged farmer and therefore eligible for subsidies, and he wants uh, a payment cap limit. Uh, but he said he's not sure what he's going to offer in committee and what he's going to offer on the Senate floor. So we'll be watching that, certainly. And But it, it appears that this is going to go much smoother, in fact, to the point where the Senate bill could be done before the House bill. Yeah, uh, yes, indeed. The uh, Senator uh, McConnell, the leader in the Senate, has said that it's going to come up in June. Uh, they want to finish it before the, the July 4th break, which would mean they'd have to finish it by June 29th. Uh, and in the House, we still don't know what's going to happen because it depends on whether the House Republicans work out a deal on immigration and then the Freedom Caucus would, uh, at least some of them, would apparently agree to vote for the Farm Bill. Uh, it failed when it came up because uh, there are no Democrats voting for it and there were not enough Republicans to pass it. 
All right, let's switch now to trade. It looks like Secretary Purdue later this week will be headed to Canada. So I guess uh, I call him comforter-in-chief. He spends a lot of time going around the United States comforting uh, farmers and ag groups uh, about something that's happened at, uh, from the president or from the White House and, and assures them it's going to be okay. I guess he's going to kind of take that to Canada later this week and try to smooth things out there. Well, yes, I happen to know that his trip to Canada was already planned before uh, President Trump made his trip to that G7 summit and then got into such a, a conflict with Justin Trudeau, the prime minister. Uh, so uh, this is kind of an exchange between uh, Macaulay, the, the, the uh, Canadian uh, agriculture minister, and Purdue, because Macaulay came to Georgia, and so now he's going to, the, to Macaulay's farm in, uh, in Canada. And uh, But the thing is that on the conflict issues, Purdue really isn't in charge of those. So there's sort of a, a limit. They can, the, two, the two can talk nice. And, of course, there's a big trade in agriculture between Canada and the United States. But that doesn't relieve the, the, the problems uh, that are uh, at a pay grade above these two ministers. You know, that really... I noticed that a lot when I was at the World Meat Congress a few days ago in Dallas and talked with both Sonny Perdue and, uh, and Lawrence McCauley. I mean, here you have two ag ministers, and, and they, they get along great, and they were talking about what they hoped would come out of the NAFTA talks, but it became very clear, and was, we were reminded they're not the negotiators and that all this really happens above them. They may have some input, but the, really they're not the decision makers on this. Yeah, the decision makers are, of course, Trump himself, uh, Robert Lighthizer, the U.S. Trade Representative, and Greg Dowd, uh, who is the chief U.S. agriculture negotiator, and they take a tougher line, tougher line than Purdue does. So we'll see how that plays out. But uh, what's the feeling around Washington when it comes to the state of the NAFTA talks? Uh, you know, the lobbyists in Washington. And members of Congress always want to be as positive as possible. But I find that on these trade issues, on NAFTA, on China, it's no longer possible for them to put a good face on it. People are really, really worried about declining exports. And most of all, they are worried that all this uh, uh, aggressive talk is just turning the customers uh, towards other countries, uh, to, uh, towards the European Union, towards the South American countries uh, as alternative suppliers to the United States. Yeah, that's the concern. Uh, are, we, are we pushing away our customers and getting them to look other places for what they want to buy? And in, if that's the case, even though we, though we may get some of that back, some of it we may not. Well, that's right. There's a lot of comparisons with uh, Jimmy Carter's refusal to send wheat to Russia uh, when he was president. And the, the problem is that the United States uh, becomes an unreliable supplier, and nobody wants to do business with someone who is not a reliable source. Now, in this case, of course, we would still have all the grain and the meat to sell, but if there are going to be these punitive tariffs on it, it means that, it, that our, our products will be priced out in comparison with you know, Australia, New Zealand, South America, uh, uh, and the European Union. And, of course, uh, now part of the scenario on trade is the, uh, the condition of Larry Kudlow, uh, White House Chief Economic Advisor, who suffered a heart attack. 
Well, that's right. Uh, now, the White House says that heart attack was very mild, uh, uh, but still anyone who has dealt with someone uh, who has had a heart attack knows that that person's energy is diminished after a heart attack of, of any type. And we wish him well, and uh, we'll see what impact that may have on these negotiations. Well, Jerry, thanks a lot. Lots to talk about. Appreciate your perspectives. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. All right. Coming up, we're going to talk dairy and the situation with Canada a little bit later. Chris Galen with the National Milk Producers Federation will join us. That that issue has really come to the forefront uh, with what happened this past weekend at the G7. But coming up next, we're going to talk with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. We're going to talk about the the situation with Mexico and as far as our meat sales into that country and how they're being impacted. So stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub, they require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited-time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam, for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable Bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information, and then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache, or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented my pillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time we spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing in my home state of Minnesota with a 10-year warranty, 
and you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever. Get four my pillows for the price of one. That's right. Get four my pillows, two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one. Order my pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get four my pillows for the price of one. Call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to mypillow.com and at checkout use promo code FARM11. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, in response to U.S. duties on imports of steel and aluminum, Mexico has put a 10% duty on all chilled and frozen pork cuts imported from the U.S., as well as a 15% duty on sausages, a 20% duty on some prepared Hams. Let's talk about that situation with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure, Mike. Good morning. All right, so some pretty significant uh, uh, retaliation here from Mexico. How much is this going to impact our pork sales into Mexico? Well, I think um, a little background is probably needed. Uh, you know, Mexico is our largest uh, volume trading partner on pork. Uh, the U.S. accounts for about 40% of the Mexico pork consumption, and that's really significant when you consider over the last several years, especially the, the rising demand uh, per capita consumption is increasing dramatically in Mexico. Uh, we've seen it grow to nearly uh, by a third over the last 10 years, so we're up to almost 40 pounds per person in Mexico. So this is a significant uh, destination for our products. and. Uh, any duty, let alone a 10% duty, is uh, of great concern. Because we face competition in that country. Are we at risk of losing our foothold there? Well, I think um, there's there's risk on several levels. Um, most definitely, um, we, we have a 10% duty currently, and the schedule uh, that the Mexico government has put out is that that will increase to 20% uh, in on July 5th. So, yeah, the, the overriding risk here, we, we have a share between 80 and 90 percent of the imported pork into Mexico. We've had that level of share, so the majority share for years and years. Uh, a lot of that has to do, of course, with NAFTA as well as our physical location and, and the ease of the trade between the two countries. But if this persists long term, uh, we'd run the risk of losing share. We're already starting to lose a little bit of share to Canada our neighbor to the north, um, but uh, we also run the risk of losing share to uh, places like the European Union, and and that's a little harder, you know, the logistics, the fact that it's frozen and not fresh um, is a bit of a barrier for Mexico, but, but honestly, if Mexico's given no other choice, they will uh, adjust, and, and they will increase uh, from the EU as well, so this is a definite risk going forward. I was just talking about this in the last segment, saying that if you push a customer into somebody else's arms, basically, um, you may get that back, but you may not get all that back. I mean, that's the risk we run, right? Exactly right. And, you know, I, I've been around the international trade for a long time. Uh, it's always harder. It's more expensive to get a customer back once you've lost them than to originally get a customer. So, you know, we have a very we're, – we're a very reliable trading partner with, with Mexico and Canada, for that matter. And uh, – um, these outside influences like these tariffs uh, are unfortunate because it really does force uh, 
really good customers to uh, consider at least looking elsewhere for part of their supply. And I often mention this, once you start down this road of, of tariffs and then retaliation and back and forth, uh, it tends to escalate. It's hard sometimes to slow that down. And in light of uh, what we heard over the weekend at the G7 summit, uh, I don't know, NAFTA doesn't sound like to be, at least publicly, pub- publicly doesn't sound to be uh, in the best of shape. So, uh I would say this has to be a concern on top of what's happening with China and the the challenges there of moving U.S. pork into China. Yes, uh, you know, I think everyone in our industry um, is concerned, Um, uh, definitely on on the pork and the beef side, uh, without a doubt. Um, But that being said, I think, too, that we have to remember that these relationships uh, between countries and customer to, to supplier have been developed over years and years of work. So, you know, we are a low-cost supplier of high-quality products. Um, we do have very, very good relationships, uh, Canada and Mexico, uh, a lot of countries, Japan, Korea. And and I think the overall supply and demand dynamics are still very much in our favor to continue those relationships. The key is to work through some of the, the rhetoric and some of these outside influences. I think in the case of NAFTA, for example, most everybody would agree that agriculture, for the most part, works. Um, it's other influences, um, you know, automobiles, et cetera, that seem to be uh, at least one of the primary driving factors on renegotiating something like NAFTA. So I think the ag industry uh, in general, you know, is really uh, pushing hard to maintain what we have, and, and actually it has the potential to even flourish more than it has as it relates to ag. We just have to work through some of these other uh, these other uh, stumbling blocks. Talking with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. So, Dan, if we get uh, a NAFTA deal finally done and it's a good deal, I mean, does a country like Mexico forgive and forget we go back, or have we, you know, put some doubt in their minds that uh, that would cause maybe some problems down the road or or does a, a new deal kind of uh, take care of that well i think i think this is all speculation it's hard to tell what what happens in the future but i do i do know this i think uh using mexico as an example we have we the industry the pork and beef industries in the u.s have very very good relationships with the key players uh, uh down, down in mexico and in canada for that matter as well and, you know, I think that, uh, I don't know if forgive and forget is the right terminology, but I think they value the relationship with the U.S., and uh, um, I, I, I do think that we can uh, maintain and grow the business long term. But uh, uh, that being said, you know, we're making life a little bit difficult on them at the moment, and, uh, uh, you know, on a lot of fronts, on several fronts. But like I said earlier, I think ag, uh, ag is not one of those that uh, – that is having these issues. So hopefully we can work through it and, and get back to some sort of normalized uh, trading pattern. Even with these tariffs, we're still moving pork into Mexico, aren't we? We are. But that being said, um, the tariffs, the uncertainty, this is causing, uh, as any good business would do, is causing uh, a lot of uh, customers to look at uh, uh, additional sources of supply beyond what they may have today. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, Canada, the EU, uh, they're even looking at places like Brazil. Brazil does not have a, uh, 
uh, veterinarian agreement with the U.S. at this point due to foot and mouth disease and concerns like that. But I know that Brazil is pushing hard. So, so there's even competitors that aren't identified yet that could come on the horizon if we're not careful. So, yeah, I think uh, the threat's out there. But, but in the end, from a trading standpoint, um, you know, the, the Mexico industry and the Canadian industry are very used to our products. They're very comfortable with the quality and the safety of our products. So from a, just a trading supply and demand standpoint, we still are the best position to, to, uh, to grow the business. Now, what about with China? What's the situation there? <laughs> well, China's always the uh, elephant in the room. There's so many variables there, so many different things going on. Um, it's, it's really hard to say what's causing what there. I can tell you this, that part of the issue in China, aside from the duties, is that on a supply basis, they have their largest pork supply currently, the way they're their hog cycles going, their largest supply of pork since 2010. So prices are relatively low for that reason. And, uh, you know, it ebbs and flows in China. A year from now, it could be, you know, a much lower supply with higher prices. So it's really a volatile market just by its very nature. And, uh, you know, this is compounding the problem with the, with the 25% duty that you alluded to earlier. So, you know, I, I, it's hard to say. Hopefully we can get to some sort of a agreement where we can uh, get back to normalized trade without a duty as we were before and uh, i know that the industry is pushing in that direction dan last time we talked we were in dallas at the world meat congress and uh, the news of the tariffs uh, by the administration on uh, steel and aluminum from uh, canada mexico and the eu that kind of uh, i don't know if i want we can say hijack, but it really kind of took over the conversation at World Meat Congress. That aside, how did you feel about the event and the uh, uh, the relationship building that took place at the at the meeting? Well, I thought the meeting was it was a huge success. We had uh, very nearly uh, 750 attendees from from a huge amount. I think it was 40 plus countries around the world, and uh, it really was the opportunity to get ag in, uh, on the international stage. And, uh, and you're right, uh, I don't know if hijacked was the right word, but uh, definitely uh, we had some real-life scenarios of trade issues that, that happened during the meeting, so that was quite interesting. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's the world we live in, and, uh, and I thought it was great having the entire uh, uh, global, all the global players there at the meeting. So, uh, you know, these, these sorts of events don't happen very often, and in that regard, I thought it was a, it was a huge success. Yeah, very good meeting indeed. Dan, good to talk with you again, and thanks for the uh, update and perspective on these trade issues. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Mike. Thank you. Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. All right, on the subject of trade, dairy was at the forefront of a lot of the public back and forth between the U.S. and Canada this past weekend. Is that issue finally coming to a head? Are we any closer to resolution? We're going to talk with Chris Galen, Senior Vice President Communications for the National Milk Producers Federation. That's coming up next. Stay with us on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
the mighty Prosoro, king of fungicides. Its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield, the hammer of head and leaf diseases, the number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quality and higher yield, use Prosoro fungicide, and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosoro.us. Always read and follow label instructions. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agri. Time for a market check here on Adams on session of declines. We did see advances in the overnight session into early Tuesday trade. July corn plunged to its lowest level since January 24th on Monday. On the downside, a minor daily corn chart objective lies at 366 and a quarter. That'd be the low from January 23rd. In Minneapolis, spring wheat futures were a penny to two and a half cents higher. Nickel better in Kansas City, five to six higher in Chicago wheat an hour into the trading day. Livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures. Nearby June is down 60 cents at 108.05. Feeder cattle August down a dollar 22, 144.72. July lean hogs down a nickel 79.40. The Dow down 20, crude oil up 25. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache, or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented my pillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time we spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing in my home state of Minnesota with a 10-year warranty and you can wash and dry my pillow and here's my best offer ever get four my pillows for the price of one that's right get four my pillows two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one order my pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code farm 11 get four my pillows for the price of one call 800-871-7280 and use promo code farm 11 go to mypillow.com and at checkout use promo code farm 11 
so we hope to uh, continue to work through uh, our technical difficulties here this morning. But welcome back to Adams on Agriculture as we're looking at uh, the trade tensions that we have uh, with Mexico and with Canada and, of course, the ongoing talks with uh, China. Those are kind of at the top of the list. And um, while we just focused on the situation with Mexico on U.S. pork, we know that the tensions have uh, increased with our neighbors to the north. Things did not go well with the G7 summit over the weekend. And um, after what looked to be a friendly press conference between President Trump and Prime Minister Trudeau, then uh, things kind of fell apart after that with some comments that the, the Prime Minister made and then responses by, the, uh, by President Trump. So it kind of makes you uh, wonder where we are at. Uh, with our relationship with Canada when it comes to the uh, the NAFTA negotiations. I mentioned earlier that uh, Secretary Purdue will be going to uh, Canada to meet with uh, the Canadian Ag Minister Macaulay, uh, and those two get along very well, but uh, obviously there are other tensions going on. We're gonna, dairy did come to the uh, forefront, and President Trump mentioning dairy and uh, uh, what he feels is the harm being done to U.S. dairy farmers because of our trade agreement with Canada. So that issue came uh, very much to the forefront. I want to talk about that with Chris Galen, Senior Vice President of Communications for the National Milk Producers Federation. Chris, thanks for joining us. For all the rhetoric and the tough talk back and forth, at least the dairy issue finally came to a head and got some publicity in the last few days. Yeah, you know, one of the things we've always said in agriculture, Mike, over the decades is that agriculture and farm commodities are used as a bargaining chip and that a lot of times the interests of farmers and food producers get traded away at the last minute uh, and are subservient to uh, larger interests, whether it's manufacturing or software or pharmaceuticals. Well, this is a case where uh, the dairy sector, which admittedly in the scheme of things isn't the hugest product involved in U.S., Canadian, or North American trade, uh, really showed its influence here and the fact that we're not in a position and don't want to be traded away as part of this NAFTA renegotiation. So we're very happy with the, uh, the attention that's been paid to it so far. Chris, I hadn't really thought of this before the last day or so, but been thinking about it. Does... Uh, does the dairy industry risk being in a position of being looked at by the rest of U.S. agriculture and say, hey, are you going to cost us a deal, a deal that maybe we're happy with, but it, it's not going to be for dairy, and so that holds things up? I mean, what are you hearing from other sectors of U.S. agriculture? Do you have their support, or how do they view this? Well, sure. I, I think ultimately people have to understand that we don't have – an effective trading relationship with Canada. Now we are we've been very clear in that we like the relationship we ha we have with Mexico. Mexico is our number one export market for dairy products and we don't want to see that jeopardized and certainly a lot of other farm commodities also have enjoyed a much better relationship and a more robust export market in Mexico since NAFTA was formed. But the problem with NAFTA when it was created about 25 years ago is that it did not really rely trade restrictions and do anything to address Canada's tariffs 
really putting a, a very strict limit on how much dairy products we can export. So we wouldn't be doing our jobs here representing America's dairy farmers if we didn't raise that issue because the whole purpose of having a NAFTA renegotiation is to enhance free trade and to make certain that we have strong and fair trading regulations. And that, so that's really what our focus has been here over the past year. Do the events of the last few days and what's going on publicly between President Trump and Prime Minister Trudeau does that uh, bring us closer or push us further away from some type of an agreement, do you think? Obviously, there's always a lot of uh, drama when you're involved in these high-stakes negotiations. I have a feeling that this is going to be a bit like a roller coaster ride, Mike. Uh, this, is, this has been one of the steeper uh, plunges or more exciting ones where things seem to accelerate. Um, but we have to be prepared for a long run here, the, a long ride, to use the roller coaster analogy. And also, let's not forget that while uh, dairy trade within agriculture is the focus right now, there are a lot of other things where we are not necessarily uh, close to terms with either Canada or Mexico on, on things like the way that you list the content of automobiles and the sunset provision, that's a point of contention, uh, rules for government procurement. Uh, there are a number of other high-profile items way beyond agriculture that have yet to be resolved. So the spat over dairy uh, has been in the news here in the last few days, obviously, which is why we're talking about it. But even if you were to resolve that, or even if it went away, there would still be some other things that have to be resolved in NAFTA. So I, I think we just have to fasten our safety belts here because the ride is not going to end anytime soon. Is the administration seeking your input on these issues? Absolutely, and we have been not shy in sharing that input. So when the president is tweeting about or speaking about the degree to which Canada's policies disenfranchise U.S. dairy farmers and exporters, that obviously is information that we have worked to provide to them so they know exactly what the stakes are for America's dairy interests. All right, so there had been some indication before the latest blow-up that maybe Canada was willing to, to move a little bit on their dairy position. Uh, have we heard any more about that, any particulars or details of what they might have been willing or might be willing to do? The only thing we know is that uh, Prime Minister Trudeau had, had mentioned an interest in being flexible on the issue, which is certainly very encouraging. Uh, so that's where I get back to the roller coaster analogy. There are things where uh, th you think things are going well, and then maybe they don't go quite as well, and that's all part of the negotiation process and, and why it's something that yeah, remains a work in progress, obviously. Uh, on another topic, Chris, uh, we just uh, wrapped up the, the uh, sign-up for the uh, Margin Protection Program. Uh, when will we find out or get some idea of uh, what kind of sign-up you had for that? Sure. We know from information that we received from USDA about a week ago that we had more than 20,000 sign-ups uh, at, the, at the beginning of June. So obviously that's about 10 days ago. My guess is they're still trying to tabulate all the numbers, and, and not just the number of farms enrolled this year, Mike, but also how many are choosing to cover at the maximum $8 level because for many farmers, not all, but for many, that would be the most financially prudent thing to do. So we'll see what the numbers are. Obviously it's going to be a better deal for farmers than it's been any time in the past three years since the program was created at the beginning of 2015. Uh, 
and now the, sh- the the attention really shifts to what's happening in Congress. The Senate is going to be voting in the Agriculture Committee tomorrow on the Farm Bill, and within that there are some additional changes to the MPP program in the future. In fact, one of the changes is they're going to do away with the name Margin Protection Program and go to a different name. Uh, but all those things yet have to be resolved uh, by the Senate and also by the House. Uh, so we're happy to see that the program where it is right now, but we still need to make some additional improvements as well. Yeah, I want to ask you more about the Farm Bill uh, in a moment, but real quick, okay. do you have a, a certain number in mind that, uh, as far as sign-up uh, that you would feel that it's successful or or if it's below a certain number you feel disappointed that more didn't do it? Well, I would say you you want to have at least half the farms use the program because then the majority of farmers are subscribed, and we've reached that point. So I would say that was the minimum threshold. We'll see how much more we have above that. Uh, Even in the first year, we didn't have uh, more than about three-quarters of the farms enrolled, Mike. So the other thing you have to remember is it's not going to be a safety net for everyone. Uh, One interesting fact is that we have a significant portion of the dairy industry involving what we call plain peoples, uh, people of the Mennonite and Amish persuasion, and for uh, religious or uh, philosophical reasons, they don't view government and farm insurance programs as appropriate for them. So there are several thousand farmers right there who remove themselves from the ability to use the MPP just on philosophical grounds. So you're not going to be able to encourage them because it's not part of their religious outlook. So that's just one of those things that you have to consider that you're never going to be able to get 100% because there are always going to be some people that for one reason or another choose not to use the program. Okay, and on Farm Bill quickly, um, Senate markup uh, tomorrow, um, you mentioned about the margin protection program. Anything else in there from a dairy standpoint that you're happy or, or concerned about? Well, those are the main things that we're looking at. The Senate is taking a somewhat different approach than what the House Agriculture Committee did a few weeks ago, and these are things that will in all likelihood get adjusted further, first uh, on the floor, if not the House when they vote on it, hopefully later this month. But we do expect there may be some additional changes in the Senate when it votes on the bill, again, hopefully in June. Uh, and then the conference committee is, is likely to make some additional changes as well. So the main thing that we want to see, Mike, is uh, more flexibility for farms of all sizes, making certain that the uh, initial coverage is affordable for farms of all sizes, that's key, because that's one of the reasons why we saw such a big surge in sign-up this year, is that uh, Congress was able to put some more money into the MPP to lower the premiums for coverage, and we need to see that not just for 2018, but going forward in the next farm bill. All right, Chris, thanks. As you said, an interesting uh, ride, so buckle those seat belts, and we'll see how it all plays out. Thanks, Chris. You're welcome. All right, Chris Galen, Senior Vice President, Communications for the National Milk Producers Federation. Remains to be seen how this is going to work out in NAFTA on the dairy issue. But as he pointed out, uh, even though that's getting a lot of attention now, there are still some other big issues like like the auto uh, uh, issues and some of those, the sunset clause and a lot of that. So it's a lot still to, to work through. Well, we're not that far away from Farm Progress Show, Boone, Iowa, coming up the end of August. We're going to get a Farm Progress Show preview and also look ahead to Husker Harvest Days with Matt Youngman, Director of Trade Shows for Farm Progress, next on AOA.
What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. All right, crew. Do you need a car? Been shopping only I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my...
Welcome back to Adams on Agriculture. We look ahead to this year's Farm Progress Show that will be held in Boone, Iowa, August 28th, 29th, and 30th. And this Farm Progress Show preview brought to you by Acuron, corn herbicide from Syngenta, an upgrade for growers who don't settle for average. Acuron is a restricted-use pesticide. Joining us is Matt Youngman, Director of Trade Shows for Farm Progress. Matt, uh, when we talked a couple of weeks ago, you said crops were in and looking pretty good at the show side in Boone. How about since then? Have they been getting some rain? They have. We've had some pretty nice rains come through there. Last week we had about an inch and a half that came through, uh, which is which is awfully nice. You know, southern Iowa is is awfully has been awfully dry. Uh, northern Iowa has had had some pretty major flooding, and and so Boone kind of continues to slip by, just getting the getting the right rain so we're, we're we're pretty thankful for for all of that and and the field demo crops are in great shape for a show this fall you know i you you look at the calendar and you realize that the august uh, 28th 29th and 30th really not that far away do you feel good about where you're at in preparation for this year's show yeah i can tell you that august you know we're getting down to about the days the time when we start counting the days out instead of the months and and um you know from the planning side of things the answer is yes. Everything's coming together really well, but but you can kind of start to feel that tension ratchet up here as we as we're well into June, and that means that July is around the corner, and then August will be here before we know it. So you know you're you're working hard on making sure that all the you know traffic plans and, and food stands and and contractors you need in place for everything from restrooms to trash to um, info boost and, and just get, getting all that, all, all those details starting to start to fall into place, get them contracted, locked in, and, and ready for the show in August. But so much different now with the permanent sites in Decatur, Illinois, and Boone, Iowa, as opposed to the years you were traveling to a different site every year. So uh, while you have all these things to do, I mean, you, you have the blueprint in place that you can uh, follow uh, when you go back to, okay, two years ago we were here, this is what we did. So it has to make it easier. It does. And, and you know, you get to a point where, um, the partners that you have that just kind of pick up and, 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 and it turns into a, an easier conversation because, uh, you know, just as, as an example, the local Boone Kiwanis Club, for example, takes care of the information booth. So, you know, it, it turns into a, a conversation with Alan from the, the Kiwanis Club and, and, and he's got, he's taken ownership of the project. So he, he feel, you know, he, he's got some strong feelings about, okay, we need to move this info booth over there and and this info booth gets hit harder first thing in the morning, so we need more programs there. And so, you know, you, you just get into those conversations. You're just constantly fine-tuning the the project, everybody's individual project that they've taken ownership of. And, and it, it really it takes a load off of us, it, you know, where, where we used to spend a, a lot of time just getting those kind of things organized and, and set. They're kind of set and ready to go with a few fine-tuning kind of things, and, and we're able to focus our efforts on, you know, the, the new things that we're doing to make sure that the 2018 show is, is a fresh show as compared to the 16 show the last time we were in Boone. You know, we're working, um, you know, working to put together a tiling demonstration and working on a lot of kind of extra special things that the exhibitors are wanting to showcase. And, and those, are the, those are the places that we get to put our effort versus uh, putting in electrical lines and generating a traffic flow and, and, and a lot of the things where we used to have to kind of recreate the wheel every year. So how much involvement do exhibitors have at this point as far as their uh, 
uh, their exhibits at the show, uh, when do they start getting really actively involved in setting it? Is that still a ways off yet? No, I mean, it, it kind of depends on, on the, the magnitude of the exhibit. When, you know, there, I'm, I'm in a lot of conversations with a lot of the, you know, the majors that, that, take, that take 20 lots at the show and have seven or eight or 12 pieces in the field demonstration. Those kind of folks, um, you know, it, it's kind of a constant conversation, but it, it really ramps up here as, as they're doing things like, okay, we are, in fact, going to unveil this piece of equipment at the Farm Progress Show, and, and if we're going to do that, we have to we have to do this with the media, and we have to do this with the exhibit, and we have to do this with the tent company, and we have to do this out in the field demonstrations. And so, um, as as those things start to get locked in, uh, you, you end up in a lot of conversations, and then and then that just gradually ramps up as some of the not smaller exhibitors, but maybe exhibitors that don't have as many moving pieces, they're going to turn their attention to it in July, you know, and and then the the folks of the ten by ten booth, they're going to turn their attention to it first week of august and so um it, it just gradually ramps up as we approach the show because everybody wants to make sure that they're pulling out all the stops and doing everything they can do to market their product so it, it, it's kind of an ongoing process meanwhile you're also looking ahead to husker harvest days in grand island nebraska and that's coming up september 11th through the 13th and uh, i know you're excited for people to see the improvements you've made there i tell you Husker Harvest Days, uh, last year we celebrated our 40th, uh, 40th anniversary of, of, of Husker Harvest Days, and we have, we have invested $7.5 million into re-renovating the infrastructure at Husker Harvest Days. So from the time the show closed last year until the show opens up this year, it's going to be literally a completely different facility. We have put down 5.5 miles of concrete on all the roads, storm sewer drainage under all of the roads. Uh, we've, we've demoed all of the electrical distribution and, and completely replaced that with underground electricity. We've got three times the capacity there. Um, you know, new PA system, new security lighting, new, secu- new, new security fencing, um, new Internet distribution, a uh, brand-new bathroom and, and double the size of one of the permanent restrooms. Uh, just everything you can imagine has been touched at Husker Harvest Days or is in the process. So that's, that's taken, that's taken uh, an amazing amount of everyone's time in getting that all coordinated with all the, the contractors and vendors that are doing the work, uh, you know, everything from all the way down to all new bleachers for the cattle handling demonstrations, paving inside all the buildings where the booths are. Uh, just, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complete renovation of that site. We're really, really excited about that. All right, so... Farm Progress Show, August 28th, 29th, and 30th in Boone, Iowa. Husker Harvest Day, September 11, 12, and 13 in Grand Island, Nebraska. Matt, they'll be here before we know it. Thanks. We'll talk again in a couple weeks, okay? Thanks so much, Mike. Matt Youngman, Director of Trade Shows for Farm Progress, and our preview brought to you by Acuron Corn Herbicide from Syngenta, an upgrade for growers who don't settle for average. Acuron is restricted-use pesticide. All right, coming up tomorrow, more on the trade issues and a court ruling uh, on waters of the U.S. We'll get an update on that tomorrow as well. Hope you'll join us here on Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Mike Adams. Have a great day, everyone.